This is a humble man recording. Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Skye and Hayden King. episode for sure i don't know that song is the bougie native as interpreted by snotty nose res kids is sort of like a traditional thing you think not so? a bougie native yeah i mean a bougie native to me is like middle class upper class indians there are of course upper class indians which i really just really just understood actually i just came to understand that there were indians that were in a different class than middle class i thought i was like the top of the economic scale but No, I'm just like a, I'm, yeah, I'm a bum. There's definitely uh, Indian millionaires. So, you know, we were having a conversation about where, that's true, there are many Indian millionaires, I guess, yeah. Isn't yeah. There's, a, there's a BC chief, I think, that might be a billionaire. What? Yeah. Uh, he, what, Derrickson. I don't know. Ron Derrickson, Chief Ron Derrickson. Hmm. Uh, and then think of all those American Indians, those casinos. Yeah, the casino there's a bunch Indians. of, wow, bunch yeah. of all right, so that's uh, an oversight on my part, but um, mm-hmm. middle-class Indian, would I say I'm a bougie Indian? I don't think so. You don't think so? I, I think you're think a hipster so. Indian. Hipster Indian, wow. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have to unpack that one for Have me. you seen how you wear a toque? <laughs> I, my ears don't get cold. Okay. I just put the hat on top of my head to keep the warmth in Okay. <laughs> hipster Indian. So you could call me a hipster, but how does that make me a hipster Indian? If I had like you're a also an Indian toque with a little feather out of it that was sitting on the top of my head. You're wearing a flat brim hat right now with a Thunderbird on it. Yeah. And Ray-Bans. Okay. So you could call me a Nishinaabe. <laughs> uh, and Ray-Bans. It's true. Are you wearing Blundstones? No, I'm not wearing Blundstones. Today. You Today. do have Blundstones. Okay. Let's move on. I'm wearing Birkenstocks. We're all part of the problem. <laughs> So we were going to go out for a drink, and I said, you know, let's go somewhere, like, because the, the Raptors are playing, so we're going to, you know, watch yeah. the game. I said, let's go to Hoops. And what did you say? I said, it's probably going to be really busy. So, yeah, hoops, very down-to-earth, fan bar. You said, let's go to Joey's. Joey's. Yeah. That is like a bougie hangout. Joey is closer to where everyone's staying in a hotel, because people are staying in town tonight. Don't drink and drive. But... Um, yeah, Joey is like decent, and the person that we're going out with also said they were looking for like lower key, that kind of thing. So I was trying to be a good host to our visitors coming to my territory. Okay, all right. But, um, so why don't all those upper class Indians make a place where we can all go hang out and watch the Raptors game at? Where there aren't like spirit animal drinks and cigar store Indians in the entrance? I feel That's what like, I want to know. I feel like if 
Indians were to ever have like that kind of place, there would be cigar store Indians there because we <laughs> love a good ironic joke. I can get into that. <laughs> I can get into reclaiming those symbols, but you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, and I want you know, it's like the Silver Dollar Room, right? The Silver Dollar Room used to be the undisputed Indian bar back in the 60s, 70s. But I, 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 I want one of yeah. those today that is owned and run by a rich Indian. Yeah. I mean, we don't even have Cook-Up's Kitchen anymore. They're closed. What? Yeah. You know, I never ate at Cook-Up's Kitchen. What? I've had catering from there. Yeah, I, I have as well. But I never went up there. Now I feel bad. Well, you missed it. How are we going to get our bougie Indian bars if we don't support our local bougie restaurants um everyone i think we should all just double down on powwow cafe and let nish dish uh go to the wayside <laughs> wow. if you have to play favorites if you have to play favorites this is my controversial bad take for toronto native cuisine i think that powwow cafe is better than nish dish i don't think that's a bad take at all yeah. i think philosophically mm-hmm. and then also gastronomical what is that word gastrologically <laughs> Did you just blend uh, astrology with gastronomy? Uh, yes. <laughs> Powell Cafe is far superior. That yes, is true. Yes, yes. Um, can we support both? No. <laughs> okay. If there's anything I've learned from Indian politics is that there can only be one. No, <laughs> but that's Mohawk politics. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is welcome into the circle for the Anishinaabe. Are they? <laughs> I've never felt welcome with, from Anishinaabe. Well, except Mohawks. Yeah. This is a nice tangent. Um, but yeah, we haven't been in the podcast car for a while. Haven't uh, seen each other much over the past couple of weeks. No, we've both been traveling. We've yes. been uh, we've been traveling. I was I was in Sault Ste. Marie, um, Bawating, and um, and then I had a short trip up to Calloway to uh, hang out with some friends and do a bit of work. Tried to see if we could uh, hunt some goose, but uh, too early for that. And then you were traveling, too. You had a little bit more of an epic trip than yeah, I did. Yeah, I had a little bit of an epic journey. I um, flew into Las Vegas and then drove through the mountains and the giant trees and by the ocean up to uh, Portland, Oregon, hmm. which it was like just because I didn't travel like a very straight route was about 2,000 miles, I think, all, you know, give or take. 2,000 miles. Yeah, 2,000 miles. Of driving, did it by myself, um, camped in national parks, um, thought I was going to die. Um, I realized as soon as I landed in Las Vegas that I had made a terrible life choice and everyone that ever has critiqued my decision making um, was right. And I was like, wow, I literally, like, I, the only, but then I realized the only way that I can get home and not spend thousands of extra dollars was that I actually had to make it to my flight in Portland. Right. There was no other option. So. Yeah. If your mom is listening to this podcast, she's like, I told you, Courtney. Oh, I know. All of my aunts and uncles do. So, like, I, when I came back, I ran into so many, because it was like, I made it back in time for Benji's day, and all of my cousins that I saw and all of my aunts and uncles were like, you really stressed out your parents. <laughs> and I was like, how have they managed to talk to all of you in the 10 days that I was gone? <laughs> so, now, ultimately, you, you, the trip was good, right? Oh, the trip was amazing. But yeah. you... I mean, I, I sort of hear what you're saying because I have spent a little bit of time in uh, American parks, state parks and national parks. And I remember one time I was in Wyoming. Uh, I was with my three-year-old daughter. I just, I had, I had done a road trip from Toronto to um, 
uh, Yellowstone Park actually, mm -hmm. and we were driving through Wyoming, and it is just this beautiful, beautiful state, this beautiful place. I actually don't know whose territory Wyoming is. We should really know that. We should have an yeah. app. Listen up, designers, web designers out there, app designers. We need an app to tell Indians whose territory they are on at all times. Like a Google Maps, but an Indian version. I'm pretty sure that already exists. Shut up. Okay, well, send There's me one, that so information. You can do, it's so you can do land acknowledgements properly. Hmm. Okay. So I'm driving across Wyoming. Sorry to interrupt you. Driving across Wyoming. Sorry, that car almost bumped into us. And the place is beautiful, but you get there and then you start hanging out with the locals and the dread just creeps in, right? It's like a desolate place, but it's not desolate because of the land. It's desolate because of the people. <laughs> yeah. So I totally understand what you're saying. And not native people. White people. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get the I get the scared vibe. Yeah. But you were scared. So yeah. So I landed. It took me like a long time to go through customs. By the time I got on the road, so my original plan too was not to stay in Vegas. I got in my rental and drove straight to Death Valley, and I camped the first night. I got to Death Valley at like two o'clock in the morning, and ended up just sleeping in my car because it was raining in the desert for the second time this year, apparently. And um, yeah, I woke up in the Death Valley and. It was amazing. That is um, Shoshone territory. And um, got to drive around Death Valley and, and see um, all the different things that were there. And then instantly was like amazed. And it's amazing to be there. It's like the one of the lowest points. It's the lowest point on earth, right? It's like 282 feet below sea level. So there's all kinds of like geographically, it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so, and I also got to have like an Indian taco for breakfast because I went to the res out there and it was beautiful and wonderful. And also I was just like hoping this rental was going to like not die on me at any point. Yeah. We should all eat more Indian tacos for breakfast. We should, we should also eat and like undisputedly like Navajo like plain people, they have the best fried bread. Like if you say so. I mean, my grandmother had the best fried bread, so... That flat, skinny kind that's, like, really big mm. is the best kind. Yeah. Well, I've never actually had it, so... Oh, yeah. I'm missing out. Um, so, let's go back to this note. So, why were? Why do you think you were so afraid? I think I was afraid because I was alone. I mean, national parks are also, like, for a large part, like, not very, like, not extremely um, outfitted. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's not pretty bare. It's pretty yeah. bare bones. Yeah, but they're also, like wilderness areas right so every park I stayed at had like a different warning where they were like okay watch out for the wolves or like now that you're at this park watch out for the cougars that kind of thing and when I went to the park that I spent the most time in they were like so there's bears in the park <laughs> um sign this waiver that we've warned you to be careful about your Whoa. food and uh sign like two copies two copies of the waiver and then camp is this just like over litigious American society that they make you sign a waiver so you, they don't sue you if a bear pops open your food barrel. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there are yeah. bears. Bears. There are bears in the woods. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see any bears. I mostly the biggest creature encounter I had was with some banana slugs. But. But you're also telling me about an encounter with a, a park ranger. Oh yeah. That so, was kind of scary. Yes. So. I booked a campsite in Jedediah Smith 
State Park. Jedediah Smith Jedi- State Park. That was your first mistake. Yes. Jed- so Jedediah Smith State Park. I was I Jed booked a, Smith Park. I booked this site at this colonial campground for five nights. And but that's in like Northern California. I flew into like Southern ish California. So I had to drive there. So I was like booting it across the state and like trying to see everything on the way there, but also like I'm an Aries, so I look at something for like five minutes and I'm like, okay, that's good. I don't have to stay here longer. Um, and so the second night I stayed, um, I drove through like the edge of the Mojave Joshua tree and then like up to Sequoia in like Kings Canyon. I camped outside of there, drove through there, almost shit my pants, every curve and every like thousand meters of elevation. And then, um, drove on to Lake Tahoe. And I stayed at in North Lake Tahoe at a just like, I think it was a state park on the side of a road. And um, by the time I got to Lake Tahoe, I got there to like watch the sunset. And then I was like, I need to find a place to stay. Let me go to this like little like roadside, pull your car into campsite and parked, grabbed one of the envelopes to like pay for the spot. But you have to know what campsite you're staying in, right? So I had to go pick a spot, find the number, put my money in it, took this envelope to go, like, put it where you pay for the park. And I pass a, a white guy just, like, walking in the dark. It was, like, barely, 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 like, twilight has ended. It's almost completely pitch black. This guy's, like, walking by himself. I had a flashlight. He had no flashlight. And he was just, like, hi, like, super happy. And I was, like... <laughs> This man's going to eat me. He's going to, like, make a skin suit out of me. And I walked maybe, like, five more feet. Um, got totally freaked out. And I was like, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to take this money. I'm going to go and, like, just camp and, or go to a hotel. Because I got so freaked out. And then I went back to my campsite. And that guy was looking into my car in my campsite. And I was like, holy shit, um, can I help you? Like, because obviously, like, you know, through blight. And he was like, yeah, is this your car? And I was like, yeah. And he turns out it was the ranger, and he wanted to make sure I had paid for the campsite. And Well, what yes. is a ranger doing walking around without any lights or any identifying Not features? even the hat. Not, not even, even the hat. Not even the hat that Smokey Bear wears, right? Like, not even that hat. And so I gave him the envelope, and then I just, like slept in my car with a hatchet <laughs> that I took with me and I was like everyone sleeps with a hatchet under their pillow yeah but I was also like you know how people are like oh the scariest animal in the woods is like the people I was yeah. like the, I'm the only hatchet wielding maniac <laughs> in this park that's what I told myself I'm the only one that's got a hatchet in this park that's like you know people should be afraid of mohawks not mohawks afraid of people <laughs> when I I used to well I still do I <clears throat> although less since I've had kids, but I used to do a lot of paddling, a lot of tripping, uh, a lot of camping. And uh, my cousin always used to make fun of me because he never, he never did. He's like, just watch out for those Frenchmen. <laughs> you know, it's like the most, the scariest thing in the bush for him were like Frenchmen. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't bears or cougars. Yeah. Wolverines. It was Frenchmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, that, that, that would have been scary. It actually sort of sounds like my res. <laughs> we have this outer island called Beckwith where, you know, non-native boaters come and they moor their boats for the weekend. And uh, they have to pay 
but the guy that comes around and pays for years and years when I was a kid his name was Pel Pelican and he used to just zip around in this little Zodiac you know like a t-shirt <laughs> cigarette coffee cup and just ask people for 20 bucks mm -hmm. um, I think maybe we've made t-shirts now but yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, if, I, if, if, I was in a, if I was in a park and just some uncredentialed white guy came up to me and said, hey, give me your permit. Yeah. I'd be skeptical too. Yeah. And I was definitely like, yeah, that was probably like one of the scarier moments. Um, but yeah, I did, I did a lot of like, kind of like a mix of like sightseeing stuff. But I realized, like, shortly after I got there and was, like, going to all these, like, all these places, like, when you go to, like, you know, visitor centers or, like, information centers, you're really just, like, learning colonial history. And so when I was in um, Death Valley, they had, like, done a decent job of incorporating the Shoshone, right? Like, if you get the park guide, it actually has the, the territory marked out on the map. It indicates that there's like a place you can eat there. So if you're looking at the map and trying to decide where you're going to eat, you can choose to go there and which is why I went there. Right. And, and went there for breakfast slash lunch. And that was like, you know, that was good to me. But then as soon as I like had like, you know, 30 hours alone by myself, I was like, Oh, I'm too social to be this alone. Mm -hmm. I need people to interact with. And so then the second day I got to um, where the giant sequoias are and the main like sequoia visitor center. And they had like a sign that was like an, on an interpretive trail. And they were like, this park was formed because we bought land from, you know, seven or eight landholders. And that's how this park was made. Hmm. That we bought the, we bought this land and that's where the title for this land comes from. And I was like, oh, this is all just, like, colonial lies. And so I got really, um, really kind of, like, it just became so aware, so obvious to me that, like, the people who are there and whose territory it is are actively being erased mm -hmm. from the way people are educated about the land, how they exist in relation to the land, and that their title and their rights and, you know, whether they have land claims or not, like it's actively being erased. And the thousands of people that come through these national parks that are looking at these sites, they're being misinformed. And so that was really frustrating for me. And so I made it a point, you know, when I got to Jedediah to be like, who is this white person they've named this land after and where are the native people? Mm -hmm. And I knew that there are native people in the area because we were everywhere <laughs> and especially a land that was so like biodiverse and had so many like so many good like natural resources in the sense that like there was so much there it was such a healthy place to be that obviously people would have lived and thrived there hi everyone um this is courtney so that was a little bit weird. Um, so what you just heard was Hayden and I running out of recording space on our uh, episode. And so I didn't get to finish telling a story. So um, what has happened is we realized that we ran out of space on our SD card. So we had to cut out the conversation and we missed a little bit of our conversation here. 
Um, So I'm just going to do a little bit of a recap here for you. And then we'll get back to the podcast car. Um, One of the things that had happened while I was on the trip that I was on was that I ended up going to a town, uh, a small, um, you know, average city town that had a tourist in area because they're on the ocean and I got a little map from the community from uh, Crescent City and even though you could see by the geography that it was likely there was going to be a lot of forest in this area it was basically just like a brown area and everything that had uh, places to visit and things to do was all green and so there was just this like big void in the middle of this tourist map and it turned out it was like the Klamath area where the Klamath people lived and so I went to the um, community to get information about who the local people are and um, was told to go to the historical society and I kept reiterating you know I want to know where the people are like do they have any type of restaurants or places I could visit or museums you know I wanted to learn about the land from the people that actually lived there Um, went to the tourist, uh, area or I went to the historical society and they gave me just like a general idea of how to get to the communities and gave me the phone numbers for their band offices, which was super awkward and not at all helpful. So, um, I ended up going to one community, a rancheria the first day on my way back to the campsite. They had uh, a thriving bingo slash place to eat, museum, um, about their community. So I made a point to like visit a lot of the other communities in the area, which all had their own kind of tourist industries, places to learn about their communities and businesses that they were trying to promote. So that was really, um, disheartening for me to see communities that were obviously well within driving distance, not be promoted by the local kind of like white or mainstream tourism industry. Um, who were there thriving on their displacement. And so it was really, um, you know, I had to make an intentional effort to go and and meet these people and see their land and be conscious about where I was spending money while I was on the trip and investing into local indigenous economies. I know that I'm anti-capitalist and all of that, but at the same time, we're all dependent and there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. But there is an opportunity to be mindful of it when you are there. And I felt really... um, it was really important to me that if I had the opportunity to, to spend money in the local indigenous communities. So, um, we're going to jump back into the conversation in the podcast car and thank Eric for doing some podcast magic for us here. Thanks. Anyway. All right, Eric, sorry for the fuck up. We're starting this section again. We don't know where that, all right. Okay. We might have, uh, technical issues that we're, we're dealing with, but yeah, we're back. (laughs) Okay. Um, well, your experience in those state parks with that erasure is not surprising because that's basically what state parks do, right? I think I think a lot of people don't realize that conservation basically marched right alongside colonization. Conservation was an embedded part of colonization in the United States and then Canada. And then we exported this model or they exported this model called fortress conservation which is basically the idea that no humans should live in these conservated zones where uh, the land and animals can live free, happy lives, free of any outside influence. But like the 
you know, Yosemite Park, um, a handful of many, most of the parks in the, in the, in the, in the United States were created. And then the native people who called those places home were forcibly evicted. Like in Yellowstone, they killed 300 odd Miwok and Shoshone to make way for that park. And that happened across the country. Like in, 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 in Ontario, uh, Quetico Provincial Park was the first provincial park that was established and they forced two communities out of that park. And one of them, I think they were called the Lac La Croix Band, uh, is just, they were declared extinct like 10 years later. Um, and it continued on, you know, from the late 1800s into the present. I think it was in the year 2000, there was uh, a parks conference in South Africa where all these indigenous people came together and they said, you know, first it was colonization that threatened us and now the greatest threat facing indigenous peoples is, is the conservation movement. Because in Africa, in African states and South America and elsewhere around the world, this uh, this conservation philosophy of of uh, exclusion has been has been adopted, and then of course environmental NGOs reinforce it through you know, carbon market protocols and Conservation International and Wildlife International and all these big ENGOs continue to push like this type of conservation model that just completely evicts Indigenous peoples and erases any presence of them. Um, so it's not it's not a surprising phenomenon. Or it's not a surprising consequence of what you're describing there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was interesting because, like, at Jedediah, they were literally like, this park is named after this, like, young guy that kind of, like, fucked up his life and, like, ended up here. Like, eh. Sure. I mean, Algonquin Park, what's that about? It's, you know, you go to the eastern part of Tom, uh, Algonquin Park and it's all, like, Tommy. Um, what was that group of seven guy? I don't know. Tom Thompson? Tom yeah. Thompson. Tom Thompson. This is all about Tom Thompson. You know, well, what about the Algonquins that... Uh, you made this park on top of their land and destroyed their economies and mm -hmm. oh they can hunt a little bit in your park today but in really restricted zones like I think it's even NAN territory there is this real resentment on parks you know Wabakimi Park and Quetico obviously in Treaty 3 area but all these parks that were just they've been imposed in the territory so first nations today are like hey we want to use that land our sacred sites are in that land we have hunting cabins in that land we want to use it for you know sustainable logging whatever and then the province is like sorry that's off limits that's a conservation zone that's how we assert our settler colonial jurisdiction to your territory and feel good about it and canadians feel good about it too because hey we're this happy green uh nature loving society yeah, and it's really interesting, especially how the like the economies of profiting off of these lands come up across, right? In the way that like state parks, national parks, or even like you know crown court parks in Canada, like they're the ones that are getting the money off of even the enjoyment of the land, and sometimes in certain cases, like they'll exempt park fees from uh, people being able to use that land, but you have to be like local, right? You have to be from one of those tribes there, like. Um, but they are also like, you know, advertising and doing all this kind of stuff around like, you know, what I, basically what I did, like these life experiences that are meaningful and experience in the land, but like completely devoid of like the m millennia of knowledge that indigenous people have cultivated on how to care and use that land in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a few co-management agreements. I mean, I presented, a, I gave a paper one time at York university and, uh, 
and I talked about Yosemite and uh, uh, a lot of these parks, Yellowstone in, in, in the States and how that links to the conservation movement in Canada and excluding Native people. And this person at the end says, you know, you really have to think about all the benefits that Native people are getting from parks today. Because uh, there are co-management regimes, and you know you can be an you can be an interpreter if you're a native person. You can take tourists through the park and be an interpreter. Um, you can dress in period clothing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, in <laughs> in some cases there are native tribal parks now. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's the um, there's a group in northern Arizona, the north entrance of the Grand Canyon. Like that's a tribal mm-hmm. park. That's the they control that park. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the Salco team just did with. Um, a tribal park in the interior of British Columbia. So those exist, but but uh, anyway, this person was saying, you know, the, but there's all kinds of benefits today because uh, the park movement's so progressive and it's really just low-wage um, labor with some limited subsistence rights and uh, symbolic gestures to historic presence, but of course not ongoing contemporary presence. When I was in Yellowstone, there was this great, <laughs> there was this great uh, plaque that they had installed that they meant to be like, look, the natives were savages, and it's a good thing that we kicked them out of this park. But anyway, it was about Chief Joseph, mm-hmm. and how in Yellowstone they had created Yellowstone and they pushed a lot of uh, uh, communities, physical community, they they physically removed them from the. From the park, and then when Chief Joseph got into some uh, some issues with the colonial officials and the militia, he went into the park to hide from them. And then I think it was for like eighteen months or two years, mm-hmm. he just basically had this guerrilla campaign where he hid in the park and he and he killed some of the tourists that were in the park. Mm-hmm. And I read that plaque mm-hmm. and I was like, "Fuck yeah, Chief Badass. Joseph! This is how it should be. <laughs> White people should be scared in in uh, in, mm-hmm. in provincial, territorial, state, federal <laughs> parks. That's how, that's how it should be." <laughs> But instead, it's the native people. Instead, are... it's me. Yeah, and then it's like, yeah, me being like, I am probably like, you know, aggressively confronting the realities of like missing and murdered indigenous women, and like being a racialized woman driving through like, uh, you know, a very white state, being like, mm, you know, I'm just gonna go have some, uh, take some selfies and like put put some pictures on my Instagram about some of these trees, right? Like that kind of. Uh, that was really just. Yeah, I could really, really tell that, like, I really stressed out my, like, protection. <laughs> like, all of the people that are, like, praying for me and, like, uh, you know, being mindful of me and my existence. You're just really working overtime. I actually, like, gave in and started posting as I was on my trip of, um, you know, where I was and what I was doing. Because I was getting inundated with messages being like, are you still alive? Are you Okay. <laughs> Um, at least like, you know, 15, 20 people a day being like, you're, you have gas in your car, (laughs) that kind of thing. Right. Which I think was good too, that I actually managed to keep myself alive for the entire time I was gone. And, you know, congratulations. Yeah. It was a real like, uh, accomplishment, but you know, when I think about it, um, I mean, we all do that. We all go and, uh, uh, take lots of selfies in the park, not by ourselves. I, I, I'm not a solo camper and all the trips that I've done, I've never, never done a solo uh one i guess technically i kind of did once but yeah i'm not uh i'm not too keen on those types of trips but thinking about it you know there are a lot of contemporary examples where canadians are sort of scared out of parks like you know you think about 
um, Ipperwash Provincial Park. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about uh, the Pinery right now. You know, I think mm-hmm. it was last summer, the summer before last, summer before last. Same thing that happened in Ipperwash happened. You know, all these campers having their barbecues on their little Coleman stove and roasting marshmallows, and all of a sudden, a bunch of Indians come into the park and like, sorry, we're taking this back over. Get out. Um, mm-hmm. Now they came to some kind of agreement. And Owenda Park, my people from my community mm-hmm. occupy Owenda Park. Um, people from my community right now are occupying our band office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, is there any Mohawk uh, Park relationship? I can't think of any. No. Not even in like outside of Tyndanega or anything. I don't know if there's any parks around like. Well, what about New York State? I mean, New York State. Yeah, New York State for sure. But is there like um, the swamps? This there, is the site that the peacemaker stepped ashore, Lake Ontario. Oh, in Oswego? I think we still have like people there. Oh well, that's better know. than a park. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then anyway, uh, you know, people still go there. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I had a friend that was like. Hey, let's go camp at the Pinery. As a non-native friend, it's like, no, I'm not going to go and support this uh, mm-hmm. and, and be an active part of <laughs> stealing native people's land and or, participating in uh, yeah. settler. Or when my white friends want to go camping and they're like, let's get a, um, let's get an Airbnb. There's really nice ones on like this Christian island, and it's like, <laughs> mm, no. <laughs> Yeah, we're well, not gonna we're gonna rent an Airbnb from white people on uh, another Native Nations land. We're gonna have to talk about <laughs> cottages in mm-hmm. another podcast because yes, we have mm-hmm. lots of cottages. We actually kicked all the campers off our island because for many years we'd have campers mm-hmm. camp on our beaches um, mm-hmm. for a fee, just like we do on Beckwith Island. But uh, yeah. we mostly kicked them. We had a rave one year, and then the ravers just destroyed the place. So we're like, no more. That's it. Uh, Six Nations did that too. We kicked off all of the people that were like squatting on the res at our RV park and replaced it with like cabins that are going to open up hopefully this summer. Well, we talked in the previous podcast about how there's teepees at the Black River mm-hmm. Wilderness Park. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good vibe. Mm-hmm. But by and large, most parks are just straight colonial. Yes. So how do you combat it then? Given that parks are colonial and it's another expression of like settler colonialism do we take them over do we take them back mm-hmm, mm-hmm. their own like in, especially in the canadian context right like they're owned by the crown yeah well most parks in canada are provincial parks and so technically yeah it's the provincial crown held on held in behalf of everybody in the province um but they are these spaces that I think are ripe for taking over. And there are a few examples that I mentioned, whether it's a Pinery or a Wenda or Ipperwash um, or Algonquin. I think you do see people going in there and then and reasserting uh, jurisdiction. And I think that that's, you know, it, it, it uh, I'll give you another example from my community. There was a park mm-hmm. outside of Barrie, Ontario called Springwater. Mm-hmm. And Springwater Provincial Park, about four years ago, five years ago, they... Um, three, four years ago, the pr- province decided to decommission the provincial park. They were going to make it from an operating provincial park to a non-operating park, which means there would be no services, no regulations. and they Well, there would be regulations, but there would be no management, no staff. And they went in there and they actually lowered the flags. They took down the flags of Canada and Ontario. And so um, Springwater is at this site, which is sort of the intersection of travel routes for the Anishinaabek in the area. And so women from my community... Uh, Beth Elson and um, um, others went and took over the park. So the 
province abandoned the cabins and the buildings that they had used to manage the park. These women took it over and uh, they stayed there for months. They built a lodge. Uh, they stayed through the winter. This, you know, despite people harassing them and coming onto the land, crazy environmental groups trying to kick them out, OPP every day coming to visit them. And then eventually the First Nation leadership, much later than they should have, st stood behind them. The province comes in and says, hey, let's create a co-management agreement. Now, um, effectively, my community, mostly First Nation, manages Springwater Provincial Park today because of that action. Now, there are problems with co-management agreements, and it's not like full jurisdiction or anything, but, you know, it's sort of an incremental movement towards that. So, I mean, there's four examples. One, the last one, a formal model where we actually do, we actually are taking over parks. So, um, yeah, that's entirely possible and entirely reasonable, and there's actually precedence for it. Yeah. So it's like push for like incremental change. Baby no, steps. I mean I think that's just and one. That, <laughs> that's just one example. Like that's just one example. But mm -hmm. but uh, I think that I think those zones, those areas, those pieces of land are sort of high on the priority, or I think should be high on the priority list mm -hmm. for land restitution. Yeah. And um, you know, yeah, yeah, I think so. We're almost there. We're almost at the end of our road. Almost at the end of the road. Is this it here? Yep. Yes. Wow. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, uh, there's much more to say about parks, but mm -hmm. I have had a little bit of a strange commute this morning. You know what Started actually, off strong. Yeah. Do you know what the actual opposite of colonialism is? Um, raptors. <laughs> <laughs> That's a complete lie. Uh, yeah. We the but, North? Yeah. We, ugh, I hate that. I hate that. I also hate the new Toronto Maple Leafs um, slogans, like whatever it is, be the change or whatever the hell they're saying what? about the Leafs. Strength or whatever. The new Maple Leafs slogans are terrible. It sounds like they're trying to co-op like social justice language and to get people to cheer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, huh. But yeah. Um, this is like a great way in which I know, a lot of native people I know engage in some cognitive dissonance and cheer for sports teams and just forget <laughs> about the horrible things that have happened as a result of other colonialism and enjoy uh, Kawhi Leonard making Steph Curry cry. <laughs> Let's hope. And at least there's no basketball teams that are named after, like Braves or... I, I don't even know enough of the think. teams to know. I don't think that there is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not, yeah, the Sooners are not in the NBA. <laughs> If Sherman Alexi had his way, though, I don't know if that's a joke or not. Anyway, we're Lee. I'm leaving. I'm getting out of the podcast car. Um, enjoy your spring and summer, everybody. Visit your provincial park. Reclaim some shit. Vandalize some plaques. Ask Visitor Center where the natives are and make them feel bad and awkward. Eat Indian tacos for breakfast. You've been listening to the Red Road Podcast, created by Courtney Sky and Hayden King, sound and audio editing by Humble Man Recording. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been driving in my Indian car to the pound of the wheels drumming in my brain. My dash is dusty, my plates are